From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. This is the Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition, episode 172 for the week of July 25th, 2013. The Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, the plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at www.dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. I'm your host Tom Bell and I'm joined by members of our Disneyland team. Nancy Johnson, and Michael Bowling. In this segment, Michael tells us about a recent presentation at the Walt Disney Family Museum featuring Disney legend Raleigh Crump. Michael? Thank you. Um, throughout his long and varied career, Raleigh Crump was instrumental in the creation of some of the Walt Disney Company's most popular attractions, such as the Haunted Mansion, the Enchanted Tiki Room, and It's a Small World. But According to Raleigh, none of this would have been possible without the masterful guidance of Walt Disney. And Raleigh recently um, gave a presentation at the Walt Disney Family Museum in the historic San Francisco Presidio, where he talked about his career and his relationship with Walt. Um, it's you know it's always fascinating to listen to one of the original Imagineers, and Raleigh Raleigh is a character. And his career isn't one that you would have expected. Um, Raleigh grew up as a cartoonist, and he really credits that to shaping his personality, his attitude, and his life philosophy. Because he believes that being a cartoonist, you always look at life's experiences in a, in sort of a kinky, and he means that in like a sort of a skewed sort of way, not, um, you know, the more modern meaning of that word um you know fun and you always look at life in a fun and a right. uplifting way and he started with the walt disney studio being hired as the last in-betweener on peter pan um hmm. in animation an in-betweener does every other drawing and there's 12 drawings every second in an animated film so that gives you some idea how busy an in-betweener is now why when, would they do every other drawing because the animators did the main drawings and the in-betweeners filled in Okay. the other drawings. Now, when Raleigh was hired, he was already working as a dipper at a ceramic factory. And he said he was the head dipper, but he was actually, <laughs> he was actually the only dipper. So that's what made him the head dipper. And he was making $70 a week. And he was married and his first child was on the way. But um, he had turned in his portfolio to um, the Disney Studios and they offered him $35 a week to start. And so like a good son, he went to his mother for advice who told him to go work for Disney and he would have his career made. But, you know, that was half his salary. So to supplement his lost income, Raleigh got a job making manhole covers on the weekends so that he could afford to work at the Disney studio. And Raleigh didn't have any formal art training. He was completely self-taught. But So what the animators did was they put Raleigh in different rooms with the real artists who taught him everything he knew about art and art history. And he said one of the things he enjoyed the most about working in the animation department was that the artists would leave caricatures of each other on their desks. And they, they all did it, and Raleigh said that it kept the spark and it made work fun. And during the presentation, he showed several of the caricatures that the artist had drawn of Raleigh. And it accentuated his physique, because Raleigh was really buff. 
when he was a young man. Um, Rolly enjoyed magic tricks, so there were a lot of there were several uh, caricatures of him doing tricks, and there was a lot with some you know risque humor that was common in the workplace, you know, in the fifties and sixties. And one of the stories that he told of life at the studio was about the penthouse, and that was the studio gym where employees would work out. And he had some workout buddies that that he'd go to the penthouse with, and after the workout sessions, they would lie out naked on the roof to get a tan. Well, well, one day now we all know where the studio is. So one day they were called into the office of the manager of the gym and they were told to cover up because the roof was visible from St. Joseph's Hospital across the street. Mm-hmm. Sure and is. So, <laughs> and, and so the next day there is a caricature on Raleigh's desk of two sisters um, from St. Joseph's um, looking out a window <laughs> with binoculars. <laughs> so, now, now Raleigh told a real, a story about how he got his nickname and and he told it with such affection. He said that when um he first met Walt Disney, he shook Walt Disney's hand and as they were talking he said, "Thank you, Mr. Disney." And while still holding his hand, Walt said, "Call me Walt and don't you forget it." But Walt seemed to forget Rolly's name. So for a while Walt called him Roland, which is his real name. But then in a meeting Walt started calling him Owen. And so for a few months, he called him Owen, and then he suddenly became Orland. And then finally in a meeting, Walt pointed to Rolly and, called, and, and said, what's his name? And later, Walt called him Rolly, and the name stuck. And that really meant a lot that, um, to Rolly that Walt gave him his nickname. And among the animators, though, they called Walt the old man, because one of the young animators called him that, and that name stuck. And Frank Armitage, who was a Disney artist and animator, built a mobile with um, clothes, hangers, pencils, and erasers and hung it in his office. And Rolly was fascinated because he had never seen a mobile and fell madly in love with building mobiles on Saturdays. So they hung all over his house. Some hung from the ceiling to the floor. And this would be a turning point in his career. Um, Roly also attended art classes at night school, and for one of his assignments, he had to design a turn-of-the-century woodblock. So he made a woodblock with an American Indian design similar to, um, you know, the, the tobacconist statues mm-hmm. of Indians. Now, Roly tended to look at things with a bit of a skewed sense of humor, so he turned the woodblock into a poster with the caption, Smoke Marijuana. And... <laughs> and this was meant to be tongue-in-cheek, and but people really liked this poster, so he got a whole bunch printed and started selling it for a dollar each. And he ended up doing a series of comical doper posters, like, uh, I think it was like Fly Opium Airlines and, and, and things like that. And these became really popular, and so the income from the sales helped support his family. And um, another animator, Wethel Rogers, um, made a propeller out of a black wing pencil, an eraser, and a pushpin. And that really fascinated Rolly. And he stared at it for hours trying to figure out how it was built. So Wethel um, sold it to Rolly for one cent and then explained how he built it. 
So now Rolly was building both mobiles and these large elaborate propellers. They got bigger and bigger with all these blades and tails. And again, the building of these propellers and mobiles would affect Rolly's career in the future. And the studio at the time had a library where employees could display their personal artwork. And it was there that Rowley learned that art didn't have to be serious. Because up until this time, he thought, you know, it was all Picassos and, and all this serious artwork. But then he saw the humorous artwork that his colleagues were doing, and he realized he could do that. He could be a graphic animator. So he went to work on 101 Dalmatians, and he was tasked with drawing the spots on the puppies. Uh, he quickly learned he didn't want to be an animator. So that was the only film that he ever worked on, was 101 Dalmatians. So some of the attractions that Rolly worked on, one was the Haunted Mansion, and Walt had Rolly and Yale Gracie work on coming up with ideas for the Haunted Mansion, and Walt gave them total freedom. Um, so they, they took over a, a room, and they blacked out all the windows, and they installed black lights. Um, they filled the room with props from magic shops. They got skeletons, scary masks, and all kinds of creepy things, and they would just work all day at just making props and making things. And Walt would come in every day and see what they were working on, and they would show him, and Walt would say, well, well, okay, now what are you going to do with that? And said, oh, we don't know, Walt. And and they would just go back to working on their um, all these different things. Well, they got a note from the head of janitorial services one day saying that that um, that the the janitor that was responsible for cleaning that room asked if they would please leave the light on at night because that room the, the janitor felt the room was a little creepy so they of course got an idea so they left the light on at night but what they did was they set up they rigged some of the skeletons and all of that and then they had a beam going across the the floor and so that when the beam was broken it would trigger the skeletons to jump up and move and all that and they left and they left the light on so they set all of this up and the next day they came in and everything had been triggered and there was a broom laying on the floor <laughs> And they got a note from Custodial <laughs> saying, <laughs> from now on, you're responsible for cleaning your own room. <laughs> and the janitor never came back. No, so, um, But Walt gave their imaginations completely free reign. And that's what he did with all the Imagineers. And so doing this led to them developing in the old Pepper's ghost effect that was really from the 1800s that they used in the ballroom scene. Um, of the mansion. Another another thing that they developed was that um, Yale Gracie was playing with a small projector that shined a film of a face um, that was singing on a bust of Beethoven that they had, and the bust looked alive. Um, but uh, Walt loved the effect, and that ultimately ultimately uh, became the singing busts in the graveyard. Um, 
the design work for the Haunted Mansion was placed on hold until after the New York World's Fair. And after the fair, Raleigh thought the concepts for the mansion were kind of corny and had a spook house feel. So he started to do sketches and models of creepy creatures. And he displayed a lot of these um, during the presentation. He had like this candle man um, that was this figure made out of wax and, and the and the fingers flames would come out of the fingers and he had a mistress of evil which uh could never be in any disney park but was interesting to look at and there was a talking chair that uh that is very reminiscent of one of the chairs that we see near the endless um hallway scene and he he designed a whole séance room that a version of it did end up being in the haunted mansion. Um, he designed a gypsy wagon and just all these creepy creatures, all these just really creepy, disturbing figures. So when they were doing, the, the, there was a big meeting where everybody was making their pitches to Walt for for what was going to go into the mansion, and everybody saw what what Rolly had done, and they said, "What is this? What are you going to do with this?" and Rolly just said, I don't know, this is just things I've been working on. So everybody else, all of their, all of their ideas and concepts are all hung up so that when Walt walked into the room, they, they were right there for Walt to see. Rolly was put off in the room in the corner so that when he walked, when Walt walked in, Rolly would be behind Walt. So Walt comes in, the big presentation is done, and everybody does their pitches, and Walt says, this is very good, this is very good, and then he looks at them and sort of points his thumb behind him and says, what's that over there? <laughs> and um, and they go, we don't know. We don't know what Rolly's been up to over there, Walt. Um, and so Walt goes over there and, and says, Rolly, what is all of this? And Rolly explains it to him and sees all these, and Walt sees all these creepy figures and things and Walt, and Walt says, well, what would you do with this, Rolly? And Rolly says, I don't know, Walt. I just made these things. <laughs> and, and Walt says, okay, thanks. And he left. Well, Rolly came in the next day and Walt's, and he comes into his office and Walt's sitting in Rolly's chair. And Rolly's thinking, oh my gosh. And Walt says, Rolly, you son of a bitch. And he says, those things you made kept me up all night. And Rolly <laughs> noticed Walt Disney was still in the same suit that he'd been wearing in the meeting. And he said, but I figured out what to do with those things. And that's when Walt came up with the concept for the Museum of the Weird. And, um, and then he says, and now I'm going to go to bed. And so, uh, <laughs> and, and suddenly all the, People that had put, you know, Rolly way in the corner and said, you know, this was no, you know, these these ideas that amount to nothing came up to Rolly and said, we knew you had something there, Rolly. So Rolly said he learned right then that Walt was the one to go to, you know, because Walt, Walt was the one that made the decisions. Um, Rolly believes that if Walt had lived, um, the Haunted Mansion would have been a walk-through attraction with very different illusions, um, because that's what Walt wanted. He wanted he wanted it to be a real Haunted Mansion. Um, but the illusions were lost when it was changed um, to a, a ride-through attraction. So the original concept for the, the mansion was sort of lost when it became a ride-through. Um, uh, the Tiki Room... Um, started out as a tea room and, and it grew into a restaurant as part of a redo of Adventureland. You might remember when I talked about, um, 
the Tiki Room in my anniversary segment a while back, I, t- I mentioned a conversation that Rowley reported on between Walt Disney and John Hench, where they had the concept for the Tiki Room restaurant, and there were all these birds, and Walt said, what are these birds doing up here, John? And, and, and he explained to, he, he said, you know, explained to them, you know, that, you know, these are the tiki birds. And, you know, Walt said, well, they were going to poop in the food. And John said, well, no, they'd be mechanical birds. And, um, it, well, and so that, and then it gradually grew into the audio animatronic birds that we know. Um, but Walt didn't want people standing in line, so he would have bands um, entertaining people in the park while they were in queue. So Walt asked Rolly to design tiki's for the garden so guests would be entertained while waiting for the tiki room show. Um, so Rolly got a book on oceanic art from the studio library and began sketching some of the tiki gods. So the first sculpture he did for the tiki garden was Maui. and But Rolly had never sculpted before. So he went to, to the Disney sculptor Blaine Gibson. You know, we did the figures for the Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean, um, you know, um, Abraham Lincoln, um, and and for assistance. But Blaine said, "I am busy," and so he taught Rolly how to sculpt. And so Rolly became a sculptor, and he designed and carved all the tiki gods in the um, studio parking lot. <laughs> now, Walt remembered all of Rolly's mobiles that he had had hanging all over his office and asked him to design a mobile for the, um, with birds for the tiki room. And that is the large mobile with the glee club that lowers down out of the ceiling that, that we enjoy today. That was designed by Rolly Crump. Now, from that conversation Walt had with John Hench about the birds pooping on the guests, how long do you think it took the tiki room to be designed and completed? Nine months. The Tiki Room, from that conversation, was up and running in 90 days. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Because they just got it done. There was only a handful of them, Rolly said, and, you know, there were no committee meetings. Walt just told you what he wanted, and, and you just went out and did it. So um, I mentioned that library show where artists would display their, their work. Rolly finally had his own library show at the studio, and he displayed some of his mobiles, he his own paintings, and he put up his doper posters. But he sort of, <laughs> but he put them off, sort of in a room. And one day, Rolly got a call from the librarian telling him Walt had just come down to see the show. And Rolly asked, "Did Walt see the doper posters?" Mm-hmm. And the librarian answered, "Yes." And he said, "What did Walt say?" And he said, "Walt laughed." So Rolly said, "You know, Walt was cool." And and he had a number of stories that just showed that Walt had a great sense of humor. He could joke around with people. I mean, he was just one of the guys. You know, he even though he was a studio head, right. he just you know joked around with with, with all of them. Now, at one time, um, all of the offices were redone and they were all painted off-white at the studio. And Rolly thought that was really dull. So he came in on a Saturday and um, he repainted his office purple, blue, and red. Well, the, the office manager got upset. And he got so upset, Rolly thought, jeez. Oh, and, and he said, so he offered to paint it back to off-white. And the manager just told him to keep his door closed. 
And Rolly, though, later found out that when Walt was touring people through the studio, he liked to tell people, this is Rolly Crump's office. He keeps his door closed, and we don't know what he does in there. (laughs) So, um, now, one of my favorite... One of my favorite shops at Disneyland is actually one that, Nancy, you and I went to recently, and that's the Adventureland Bazaar. Because mm-hmm. when you really take a look at that shop, it is really beautiful. And that was a shop that Rolly was tasked with redesigning. And so he had to completely remodel that Adventureland Bazaar because it wasn't um, moving the goods. And so he went in and he thought, okay, what can we do with this to give it a more exotic look? So he went to the Disneyland Boneyard and he found three ticket booths sitting out there that were in perfect condition. And he repurposed them and all the cashier stands in that shop are, are, re- those are ticket repurposed booths. ticket booths. Huh. Yeah, and well, that makes much more sense of why they put huts indoors. Right, exactly. And the columns, you know they have those ornate columns and they're painted in there? Those are left over from the old chicken plantation restaurant. Oh, funny. And, um, and Rolly showed a photo of the, sh- of the Adventureland Bazaar on the day the remodeled shop opened and then he had a photo of it 30 years later and it, it looked almost identical and it, one of the things he constantly said in his presentation he commented on how the, the cast members at Disneyland take such pride in that park and the way they care for it he even talked about how someone at um, who's the Riverbell Terrace is in their area um, their work area, and even though they're not responsible for doing this, every day they wax the tabletops just because it looks good. And um, and 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 he he's you know he you could hear the pride he had in that park, but also the pride that he has in the cast members who care for right. that park. That's that's neat to hear that from an Imagineer's perspective. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, the New York World's Fair for, in 1964 and 65 came along, and Rowley worked on a few things for that. Um, for the Ford Pavilion, um, guests rode in convertibles, real, you know, real Ford convertibles. And so Rowley designed the new car showroom um, in the pavilion. And today, when we go through the diorama on, um, you know, on the train, that's what's left of some, you know, of that the old Ford Pavilion. Um, but to entertain guests in line, Walt asked Rolly to design an orchestra that would appear to play music. It would just be the actual instruments, and then there would be music playing. There wouldn't be people playing the instruments, though. But Rolly said Walt was always looking for ways to improve the show. So he suggested that the instruments be made out of auto parts. So Rolly worked with Bob Gurr, and they scrounged around, and they designed all the instruments made out of auto parts, and they even um, were able to give them some movement as they played. And I thought, oh, that would have been cool to see. Yeah. The, so one day in the meeting, there were six of them in the meeting about the World's Fair, and Walt came in and said that there's one more piece of real estate left, and I think we'll do a little boat ride about children around the world. <laughs> Yeah. No, now, not that. Now, Rolly said after doing the audio animatronics of the Ford Pavilion, great moments with Mr. Lincoln, and the Carousel of Progress, he knew this wasn't going to be just a little boat ride. 
And so, you know, Walt continued to talk about what his ideas were for It's a Small World. And Mark Davis did a sketch of the, you know, an initial sketch of the boat ride interior. And he presented it at the next meeting. And Walt took a look at it and asked, what's Mary Blair doing? And um, because Mary Blair, because of her whimsy, her sense of color, her sense of design, Walt knew that she was the one to work on, on It's a Small World. So Rolly and two others started to build all the toys for It's a Small World. And soon there were 30 people doing nothing but building all the little toys and props that went into that attraction. They finally had to mock up every set in full size in sequence on a studio soundstage, and they put Walt in a boat on wheels and pushed him through it so he could see the full attraction before it was shipped off to New York. Wow. And um, Now, Walt remembered Rolly's mobiles and propellers and asked him to design a tower of propellers for the attraction, which was which became known as the Tower of the Four Winds, and it was based on sketches by Mary Blair. So Rowley designed this delicate model, and he was very proud of it. But it, when it was handed off to the engineers, they took the design and changed all the measurements from 6 inches to 16 inches without Rowley's knowledge. So this now was no longer a, a delicate piece of art. So all these little propellers and things, he said, now looked like um, big old donuts and everything. So Rolly was really unhappy. So when Walt drove Rolly to the construction yard to see the finished tower before it was going to be sent to New York, um, to the World's Fair, Walt asked Rolly what he thought of it. And Rolly said, Walt, it's a piece of crap. And Walt responded, it can't be a piece of crap, Rolly. It cost me $200,000. <laughs> so um, so Rolly grew to love the Tower of the Four Winds, ultimately. And um, so then afterwards, um, you know, Walt decided he was going to redesign Tomorrowland. And he came into Rolly's office one day and told him that he should be working on New Tomorrowland. And 10 minutes later, Dick Irvine, who's the senior executive of Imagineering, called Rolly into his office and gave him half of Tomorrowland to design. So Rolly knew that it was Walt that made all the decisions here because sort of Rolly and Dick Irvine sort of had a, um, I don't know, sort of a tenuous relationship. In there, so Dick wouldn't always give Rolly a lot of the plum assignments. So suddenly, Rolly had a good chunk of New Tomorrowland um, to design. So one of the things Rolly designed were the the big sweeping flower beds that were in front of New Tomorrowland, and the way he designed them is he had somebody standing on a sh on on a um, step ladder, and Rolly had a shovel. And that's how he drew out the patterns. The person would call out the designs, and Rolly would draw out the um, patterns with a shovel. Um, he also designed one of the shops that was called Mickey Mart. I mean, there was a futuristic little shop in there. Um, he Rolly designed the elevated bandstand over at the Tomorrowland Terrace. And he also designed the um, ticket booth that used to stand in Tomorrowland. So at the end of the presentation, um, Rolly talked about um, what he learned from Walt. And he had several sort of um, philosophical 
you know, personal quotations that he's, he's lived by. Because he said for the first three years that he worked with Walt in Imagineering, he didn't say a word in meetings. All he did was listen to Walt and absorb everything Walt had to say. And then he, then he, he had the courage to share his ideas. And one of the things he learned is Walt didn't like yes men. Walt wanted your opinion. And, and wanted to know what you were thinking and wanted your ideas. So some of the things Rolly learned from Walt was great ideas come from good ideas. So the example Rolly gave is a good idea was the tiki restaurant, but a great idea was the enchanted tiki room. Another, an, another thought was remember the beauty of a simple idea executed with imagination. So he thought that that summed up the way Walt looked at everything and the way Walt um, plussed every idea. Um, don't design ideas to fit. Design, then select what fits. And then invest in people and gamble with ideas. And Rowley said that's what Walt did with him. Walt invested in him and gambled on Rowley's ideas and trusted in Rowley. Um, and... Don't be afraid to be a dreamer and a gambler because that's what Walt was. Um, he, he said during the years working with Walt, everyone was naive. Uh, you don't, you, you didn't know you couldn't do anything. Um, with Walt, you just did it whether you knew how to or not and you just went out and you accomplished it because that's what Walt wanted. Um, he said that, you know, Walt, Walt made him, um, who he was. Um, when Walt passed away, uh, Rolly said he was with John Hench, and John said, um, now we'll know how much of our work Walt did for us. So now, this conversation with Rolly Crump is the first of a new series at the Walt Disney Family Museum um, highlighting Disney legends. In the coming months, the museum is going to honor Imagineer Marty Scalar. Jim Cora, who contributed to the success of Disneyland, Walt Disney World, Tokyo Disneyland, and Disneyland Paris. And in December, they're going to have a tribute to Annette Funicello. So I'm looking forward to sharing this series um, with our listeners. Excellent. Thank you, Michael. That is going to do it for this segment of the Diz Unplugged. Be sure to catch our other Disneyland shows this week. And, of course, we'll be back again with you next week. Until then, remember, Disneyland is always more magical... And it's shared. Thanks for listening.